Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Well, good morning. We are week five talking about prayer, and we've been talking about the uh, prayer faith. Our base prayer, our golden scripture for this particular series is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So here's my challenge towards you. Now, we've been talking about prayer. We've been teaching on prayer. And what the word of God is supposed to do is encourage you to pray more. So if you've been listening to this series on prayer, it should be increasing your prayer life. If not, then you need to go all the way back to James where it says, be a doer of the word. We want to hear, not just a hearer of the word only. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but we want to be a doer of the word. The word of God will only change your life when you take something and put action to it, right? You want to put actions to it. I mean, it talks about this uh, all through the New Testament, all the way into Revelation. As a matter of fact, when we get to heaven and we're sitting at the throne of judgment, our salvation guarantees our spot in heaven, but it says our works will be judged. What we do with what we were taught, what we did on this earth is also part of, is part of that accountability when we get to the judgment throne of heaven. But that's a different series for a completely different day. So uh, we talked about the uh, prayer of faith, we taught on that a lot. Last week, we actually talked about the prayer of consecration and dedication, consecrating your life to the Lord and, and yielding to His way. Your, his way is higher than our ways, his, his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And in Joshua 3, 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among us tomorrow. In other words, if you are willing to submit to the Lord, he will bring blessings in your life. This was right before they went in and the walls fell and they received the promise that was blessed for them. Year, it was, that, was, that was blessed over them or spoken over them years ago when they left Egypt, when they came out of the bondage that they were in and they traversed in the wilderness for 40 years. And they were the night before they were getting ready to go in and they were to take in the promise land of what God has for them. He said, consecrate yourself because the Lord will do wonders in this place tomorrow. Now, we do all of this to see his glory, to see his, his work in our life, his power in our life. We talked about the prayer of commitment in, in uh, Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And when you do this, when you realize that there's a pattern here, that you're taking prayer and your petitions and you're choosing thankfulness and you give these things to God and allow God to fix the things in your life, the peace of God comes in and that peace begins to rule the reign in your life life. If your life is full of anxiety, full of worry, then, then you need to figure out how to cast your cares on the Lord. It's a, it's a process of prayer. And we taught on this last week. If you want to hear more about that, you can go listen to the recording, which is available online. But this week, we want to talk about the prayer of supplication and intercession. Now, intercessory prayer is a, is a coined phrase through Word of Faith churches all the way back to when I was a kid. I remember my mom saying, going to an intercessory prayer meeting right? It was a whole big thing way back in the day, but it was actually not necessarily coined correctly. And it was something that we learned, or I learned when going through Bible school back in the late nineties, early two thousands of people don't quite understand the difference between intercession and supplication. 
And there is a common misconception between those two types of prayers, okay? So back in the day, they used to say, we're going to have an intercessory prayer, or we need to, interc- we need to intercede for what God has for us next. Or uh, There was a real big move back in the 90s about interceding for your ministry. Like well, God wanted me to step out and do ministry or be a, in the ministry, and I needed to intercede for that. None of that's scriptural. None of that's in the Bible anywhere. And I'm not really sure where it came up with that, but that was a big thing back in the day. But intercessory prayer has is mostly misunderstood. So we want to touch a little bit on that this morning, but I want to spend most of our time talking about the prayer of supplication. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, I therefore, I f- exhort first that all supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. This is the only time intercessions mentioned in the New Testament. Now, other than talking about Jesus being our great intercessor, right? But how many could say, I'm not Jesus? So I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus, right? But he's our great intercessor in heaven in the throne room, right? But the only time in the New Testament it talks about intercession is here, okay? And what it's talking about is those for kings and all are in authority, right? So we are supposed to pray. We don't have a king, right? We have a president. We've had some presidents try to act like kings, but we don't have a king. We have a president, right? Say amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to amen myself this morning because you're all quiet, so that's fine. We don't have a king, we have a president, right? But it says here we're supposed to pray for those who are in authority. But the reason that it says intercessions here is, let me explain this. The only time we see this in the New Testament, it's here, and the only time we see intercession referred to is when it's talking about non-Christians. We're talking about people that are not already born again, that have not given their heart to Christ, okay? And it also fits what we see in the Old Testament. Back in Abraham, Abraham's day in Genesis 18, it shows us a picture of intercession when Abraham was having a conversation with God right before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, right? A lot of people know that story. There was sin happening, and there was yuck stuff and nasty things. Even angels tried to come in, and they tried to have their way with the angels. It was just a bad time, right? And God was saying, this is gross. I'm destroying this. And Abraham's like, but wait, if there were a 100 righteous people, would you save this city? And he goes, yeah. And Abraham, you know, he started whittling his way down. He got all the way down to, if there are 10 people, would you save the city? And God said, yeah. Honestly, now the Bible doesn't teach us this, but I personally believe if Abraham would have gone all the way down to one, if there is one righteous person, would you save this city? And God probably would have said, yeah. So what Abraham's doing in this picture here is he is interceding for people that are not Christians. This is intercession. This is a picture of intercession. He is the go-between. Interceding literally means the... um Go between the mediator is another word you can use for intercessor, but it's a stand-in, right? I'm standing in the gap for two people that are in conflict. That's when intercession is. Intercessory prayer is when you are praying for someone who's not a Christian on their behalf to God, because why? Because they've not accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and we taught this several weeks ago that we only have access to God through the blood of Jesus because of His price He paid on the cross. That gives us access to the throne room. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Well, if they've not accepted Jesus as their Savior, they have no access or right to the throne room. In other words, they can't go to God and ask for anything because they have no right to be there because they've not accepted Jesus as their Savior, right? But what we can do is we can use our access to go to God on their behalf, and we can pray and stand in the gap for them. That's basically the easiest way to call intercessory prayer is standing in the gap. 
I'm going to stand in the gap because you are in this world and the devil's trying to take you out, but I'm going to stand in the gap for your salvation, right? Now, this is, this is also, uh, there's a picture of this also in Ezekiel. Dave, I think this should be the notes. Ezekiel 2230, the, the Lord said, I searched for a man among whom would repair the wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, okay, so that I might not destroy it, but I found no one. Verse 31, so I have poured out my indignation on them and consumed with the fire of my fury. I have brought their conduct down on their own heads. This is the declaration of the Lord our God. So if God just wanted to bring destruction, why didn't he just do it first? Why was he seeking a man? Why was he seeking someone to stand in the gap for people that deserve destruction, right? So why doesn't God just do what he wants to do? God wanted to do something, why didn't he do it? Why is he seeking a man first? Well, I believe it's this. 1 Timothy 2.4 says in this, says, Who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth? Here's the heart of God. We learn this in the New Testament, right? I pulled the scripture out, but the whole context of the scripture is talking about God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God wants no one to go to hell. God doesn't desire people to go to hell right? I get asked this questions a lot. How could a loving God send someone to hell? Have you ever been asked that question? They, they're trying to comprehend how can a loving God send someone to hell when the Bible says he doesn't want them to go to hell. They gave him a choice. He gave him a choice. You can choose me, right? So picture it this way, right? Jeff, you and I are friends, right? And we, I want to hang out with Jeff. So if I take Jeff right, and force him to go do something with me that he doesn't want to do, is that love? But if I take Jeff and he willingly does something, even if he doesn't necessarily like to do it, but he does it because of our relationship, there's love because he has a choice involved, right? We can't truly love God without choice. We can't truly choose him as our savior without choice. And that's what love is. Love's a choice, right? Every married couple out there knows that. Love is a choice. I can just easily wake up today and choose not to love you as much as I can choose to love you. Love's a choice. And if there is no choice, that's slavery. That's bondage. That's dominion. I'm going to control over someone. You have no choice or say in this matter. You have to do something. That's not love. It's not a picture of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There has to be choice involved, right? So why did God seek a man? because he didn't want them to be destroyed. He wanted someone to stand in the gap for them to give them an opportunity to have a choice. So God does, a loving God doesn't send people to hell. He does everything possible to try to give them the choice to choose love, but he's not gonna force them to love him. God's a gentleman, he doesn't force anything because when it becomes forced, it becomes perverted and that's not God. Okay, that's none of that's in my notes, so you get that free this morning, I won't send you a bill. Amen, that was free charge. Now, search for a man. So if God wants to do something, why doesn't he want to do it? Now, we know that who, God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, right? So if God is almighty and God is all-powerful and he wants everyone to be saved, why didn't he just save them, right? Because let's go all the way back to Genesis. We talked about free will, but back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God created man in his image. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, Okay, God made you to be like him, 
We talked about this last year. I am a spirit. I have a soul, which is my mind, will, and emotions. I live in a body. This is my flesh, bones, right? But my spirit man is the essence of me. That's, that's the person. My spirit and my soul is what lives on in heaven. And we'll get a new recreated body when Jesus comes back. But that's a whole other story. Now, we are created to be like him, to be in his image, okay? Now, if you jump forward to Genesis 2.15, the Lord God who took man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and to watch over it. Then the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the knowledge or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you will eat from it and you will certainly die. Now that word die actually means spiritually separated is what that word means. It's not die like we think in our traditional sense. Okay? So think of this. God knows that if we disobey, then we have made a decision that we know what's best for us. What happens when you make the decision that you know what's better for you? You got kids, right? I have little kids, and I'm making a decision for them because I know what's best for him. But when I have an adult child that's going to make a decision contrary to mine, it's because he's now independent, no longer under the covering of mom and dad who stepped out on his own and thinks he knows what's best for his life, right? So if we make the decision to eat of the tree of good and evil, we're basically saying that I'm independent from God, no longer under God, no longer calling him my Lord, and I can decide what is right, wrong, and good or bad for my life. In a sense, to saying I'm my own God, because I'm no longer under him as the Lord God. So when we have eaten of the forbidden fruit, we make ourselves our own God. So the devil tempts us. Now, I find this very fascinating. The devil tempted Eve to take something that she already had. She was made in God's image, which means that she was like God. The only thing that God asked for was to be God. There's nothing she didn't know, nothing she couldn't do, nothing she couldn't see, but yet he tempted her with being her own God and no longer being under the Lord. This, this is, happens a lot in the world. The devil will come along and he'll tempt you with something that you already have. There, there is, a, you know, you come out in the world and you can get all these riches and blessings when we know the true riches comes from or our treasure is stored up in heaven, okay? He'll, he'll tempt you with things that you already have as a Christian. Christians already are blessed. When you're a son of God, he says, he says, my God shall supply all your needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. But yet the things of this world are fake images of something that God has already provided for us, and he's tempting us something that's second best. It'd be like saying, I have this Rolex that God has for you, but I have this Timex that looks like a Rolex under my coat, standing on a corner. It's kind of what the devil does. I have something that appears good as opposed to something that is good, and that's how he tempts people away. But see, it's all by choice. It's all by choice. So when intercession is necessary is because these people don't have the ability to come into the throne room themselves, so we want to stand in the gap. We want to believe that people come, we, we, we intercede for people that are not Christians and are not saved, and we begin to pray, Lord, send laborers into the harvest, send people to talk to them, right? Because I might be able to go and talk to somebody and have a conversation with them, and, you know, we can get along great and understand everything I'm saying, but that's not, the, that's not how it is with every person. Have you ever heard somebody you're trying to talk to and you're like, it's just the communication isn't working. Like, we're not on the same page. We didn't grow up in the same area. We don't get. We didn't grow up in the same income bracket. We didn't grow up in this. I was. I'm from the north. You're from the south. I found that to be a conflict. You know, you know. I didn't grow up eating grits, and I don't like grits. I'm sorry. There you go. I said it. Pastor Paul's in the south and doesn't like grits. I know. My wife likes grits. 
I know people are getting ready to stand up and walk out right now. I was raised on oatmeal. Okay, I'm sorry. You're an oatmeal guy too? No? But you don't care for grits? Okay. Well, see, I'm not the only one. The Pauls don't like grits. <laughs> I just, it's just like this mushy, slimy mess. I don't know what it, I, maybe it's just me. Right? Okay. But everybody keeps telling me it's not made right. But every time I try it, I'm like, nope. Okay. Well, maybe there's next time. Cookies and grits next Sunday. Come next Sunday for cookies and grits. <laughs> I'm not sure that's quite what we're saying, but nonetheless, nonetheless. But there are times where you will try to reach out and talk to somebody, and it's like you're speaking a completely different language, right? But someone else who knows them can step in and can speak. So when you're interceding for somebody, it might be somebody that you know they just need the power of God, but you're not necessarily the one that shares it with them, but you can pray that other people come along and will have the ability to hear. Now, some of it might not have anything to do with economic status at all. Some of it's influence. Right? Some of it's, have you ever had those people that, that have no respect for you whatsoever, disrespect, and they just don't want to listen to anything you have to say, whether you're right or not? But somebody else who they do have respect for, someone who they do have honor for, they'll listen to. Because people there were that way. Unfortunately, we're that way because most of us got hurt as kids, and there's damage in our life, and people have, we've, we've lost trust in people. We've lost faith in humanity. We've lost faith in people, right? So it's hard to receive from God through a person when we have no trust for people. See, why do you think the devil comes after kids so much, right? I'll, I'll never forget walking through junior high, walking through, I was amazed at my boys when they were in high school, and this was just five years ago, walking through high school, and I'm like, oh, this would have never been this high. When I was in high school, if you got, saying, got caught saying those kind of words, I mean, you were, you were doing, you were in detention, you were erasing blackboards, of course, they don't even have blackboards anymore, you know what I mean? But I mean, seriously, there was just punishment. And you're walking through the high school going, this is like HBO in here. You know, I mean, I'm hearing all kinds of stuff that I don't want to be hearing. Why do you think the devil's after our kids? Because if he can cause hurt, if he can cause pain, if he can cause calluses, they'll quit listening to all the influences that are around them. And that hurt literally drives them into themselves and puts them encapsulated in a prison of their own making, of the world's making. And it's that much harder to get through to somebody. Pain will do that to you. Pain will close you off. Pain will, will tune out your ears where you won't even hear things. And it's a, it's a self-defense mechanism. It's our, it's our way of trying to protect ourselves because it's pain. Nobody wants to walk through emotional pain like that. Nobody wants to. I, I've discovered that recently. Changes about myself. When I was a kid, uh, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> date myself a little bit, you know, boys didn't cry. You know, boys don't cry. You suck it up, be a man. Suck it up, be a man. But I cried a lot as a kid, all the way into junior high. I remember asking my mom one of these times, why do I cry so much? Why am I, why am I crying so much? My mom said, you're just a tender-hearted kid. But I took that part of me and started building walls around it. I don't want to be the crier. I'm not going to be the crying guy, right? I'm a man. I'm a man. And recently I started saying, Lord, I want to start tearing down some of these walls, some of these calluses, some of these things. I want, I want to be who you've called me to be. And I was, <laughs> the other day, I don't even remember what it was. Tiff and I were watching a movie, and we were sitting there in bed and watching a movie, and she leans over and she goes, are you crying? Yes, I'm crying. Just leave me alone. I'll be all right in just a minute. <laughs> it was something to do about a father lost his son, so I made it touch my heart, right? But I'll be driving down the road. I was literally, nothing on. No music, no sermons, no nothing. Driving down the road. Started thinking, I started thinking about something I had studied earlier in the week about a picture of hell. I just started crying. I'm like, how can anybody choose to go to hell? Like, I would just start crying. I'm like, then I start praying, Lord, why am I crying so much, you know? He goes, well, you asked. 
I said, okay, I did ask. Because there's nothing wrong with that. But see, what happens is when we're kids and all this pain comes in, we start walling all this stuff off thinking there's something wrong with us. When it's who God made us to be. God knew that eventually we're going to end up pastoring a church. You know, I spent years in youth ministry and years being associate pastor, but he's called me to preach the word. And what, I mean, I don't know a pastor out there that doesn't have a deep amount of compassion for people, just cares about people. I want people to not hurt, not be in pain, not suffer through things in this world. I want people to understand that God loves them and he cares about them and he doesn't want them to go to hell. He's waiting for them to choose and he has done everything possible to lay out the path for us to choose him. And that's as simple as what salvation is, just saying, I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to follow after Christ. I accept the price he paid on the cross. I confess him as my Lord and Savior, and you're saved. That's salvation. It's, it's so simple, so easy, just knowing that Jesus died on the cross, and I accept that sacrifice. Now, <laughs> I've gotten so far off. I'm trying to figure out to jump back in here. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So another way to look at this, too, in Luke 4, 5, the devil, says he, the devil, took Jesus up. This is when Jesus was being tempted, okay? And he showed him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment in time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all the authority that comes with these kingdoms because it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone that I want. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. See, now if the devil was lying and had no authority to give the kingdoms of this world away, wouldn't have Jesus called him on it right then and there? But instead, Jesus didn't. Jesus, when he replied, he replied, it is written. Right? Men, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That Jesus never contradicted the devil and said, you don't have authority in this world. But see, that's the problem. Back when Eve sinned, see, God had given them dominion and he told them to work. Remember back in that scripture, he says, work, put your hand to something, tend to this garden. He'd given them authority in this world. And when sin came in, whether they knew it or not, they handed the authority of this world over to the devil. You want to know why this world is falling apart and turmoils and rumors of war, wars and rumors of wars and Middle East constantly fighting with each other and all of these problems that you see going on right now and more and more earthquakes, more and more hurricanes? Why in the world I moved to Florida when the hurricanes are coming in more frequently than they ever have before, right? I thought this to myself about a month ago, right? Never having been here, but listening to Miss Leslie, who's got the knowledge and says, this is what you need to do and line it all out. And I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to pray, but I'm going to be ready too, you know? thinking to myself, why in the world, right? Because he, the devil is the God of this world right now, and he's out to ca cause chaos and destruction, to cause damage, to cause hurt, to cause problems, to keep us from Jesus, to keep us from him. Ever met somebody that's just a miserable person? You ever just been around them? What's the one thing that all miserable people have in common? They want everyone else around them to be miserable. That's just a picture of the devil. He's miserable. He's lost. He's no, he's lost. Right? So he says, I'm going down, but I'm going to take as many with me as I can. And he's causing problems, which is pro prophesied in the word. Right? But we know, Jesus said, as it is written, Jesus knows that the Lord is the one true God and that we bow to him and serve him only. See, if, if the devil said, I'll give you the powers and, and, and authority that goes with this world, if it wouldn't have been true, it wouldn't have been a temptation. So this was the temptation of Jesus. Remember, he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and tried to give him bread. It would never have been a temptation if it wasn't true. The temptation was, is, you know, Jesus came to die on the cross because he's trying to get this world back. And the devil's saying, here's a shortcut. I'll just hand it to you. Here's a shortcut. And Jesus is like, nope, that's not the way. That's not the way. I'm going to worship the Lord, right? Because the devil tried to do the same thing with Jesus that he did with Eve all the way back in the garden. Choose to be your own God. 
He's doing the same thing. You can have control over all this world. I'll give it to you. See, the devil is nothing new. He's the same deceiver he's been for years. Same things over and over and over and over again. Now, are you willing to stand in the gap? Are you willing to be the person that spends time interceding for Christians? Now, I was talking to uh, Brock a little bit about this this week because he's got several friends that he's reaching out to, friends that he wants to come to church, and he's got one that's like, church isn't my thing. I'm just not a church person. That's the kind of person that you're at a point now where if you keep pushing, you're just going to keep pushing them away from God because hurt people are still hurt people, and when you're pushing, you're hitting them bruises. The only thing you can do at this point is intercede and stand in the gap. Say, Lord, start sending in some healing, send in somebody else he might listen to saying the same thing. And he's going, why am I? All these people are saying the same thing. And you start interceding. That's what a picture of intercession is. You've grabbed a hold of him and you grabbed a hold of God. And you're standing in the gap saying, Father, do what you can. Send the Holy Spirit, send other people. And you just begin praying for him. Those that are in the kingdom that are compelled to stand in the gap are praying for the salvation of unbelievers. That's what intercession really is. And that's all it is. So when you go back to what that scripture says when it talks about intercession for kings and all those in authority, right? Because most of those people aren't Christians anyway, right? I, I'm, I have a hard time pressed to believe that anybody in Washington is a Christian. I'm sure there are some, but you know, you look at their actions and you're going, you know, I don't see it. <laughs> just right, which is why intercession is used in that scripture, because we need to intercede for our leaders. Right? Otherwise, they're going to... And why do we do this? Well, we do this by what it says in verse 4, so that we might lead a peaceable life. Because if we don't intercede for those that are leaders of our nation, it's going to bring more turmoil. It's going to make it harder to be a Christian, to go to church, to serve Him. It's going to create problems. So we begin to intercede. Father, send people in, right? I believe that in the, in the process of an interceding prayer, you can, you can pray for certain choices, especially people in leadership. Father, we don't want this bill to pass. We don't want this, this law to become in place. You can take authority over things like that. And, and, and God will step in and intervene. He'll step in and intervene, right? But it has to come from our prayers because God, not being the God of this world, needs man to first ask. We have to ask. Right? He was seeking somebody who would intervene on the behalf of the people. No one was there and they ended up getting destroyed. Right? Our nation will be destroyed if we don't intervene. And it's already on that path. Our nation is going down. There's a lot of, a lot of corruption, right? A lot of money, a lot of, a lot of bad things. We've only seen the tip of it because corruption covers corruption, covers corruption. And they're just trying to sweep it all under the rug. The Bible, there's scriptures in there. You can say, I pray that evil comes to light. If something's wrong, I'm praying that it comes out. And you know how I know that works? I've prayed that over my children since the day they were born. <laughs> if they're doing something wrong and it's in the dark, I pray that it comes to light. Why? Because sin can only be dealt with when it comes into the light. Sin loves darkness, loves deception, loves to be covered. But when it comes out, it can be dealt with and gotten rid of so it doesn't create lasting problems. Now, Let's talk about supplication a little bit, shift gears. Now, go all the way back to that same scripture. It says we're first praying for all men, kings, and authority, right? When it comes to supplication, which is also in that same scripture, he literally tells us, I exhort first of all. In other words, this should be the first thing that you pray. Supplications, prayers, and intercessions being made thanks for all men. Notice God doesn't say, you worry about yourself first. No, he says, you worry about men first. In other words, the things of this kingdom and the kingdom of heaven and the things that God's teaching us is for us to be focused on others first. And while we're focused on others, God takes care of us. It's never a selfish religion. 
But see, that's hard for people to understand because this world has become a selfish place. And it's dog eat dog, you get your own. And if you don't worry about yourself, then you're going to get left behind. Because that's what the devil has convinced everybody of. The kingdom of heaven is not the same way. The kingdom of heaven is you pray and think about others first. And God will take care of you. Well, how is he taking care of you? Well, through himself as well as other people are praying for you while you're praying for them. That's how the kingdom of heaven works. Now, in the kingdom, it never starts with you. We should be praying for other people. We should be praying for other churches, right? We're believing God for 50 new people, which we've talked about a few weeks ago, which is the prayer of faith, which we should be doing. But in, before asking God to bless us, we should be asking God to bless others, which leads me into a phone call that I had with Jeff this week. And he was telling his friend, Brother Dave, right? He's telling Brother Dave about standing in faith for 50 people. And he's like, that's awesome. He's he said, we're getting ready to do an outreach here in Pensacola. And the Lord told him to believe God for 50 new salvations, right? So before we ever ask God for 50 for ourselves, we should start agreeing in faith with Brother Dave and asking God to bless him before asking God to bless us. So we're going to do that. We'll just do that right now. Father, I thank you for Brother Dave and the outreach that he's doing right here in Pensacola. I thank you, Father, that you're helping him achieve that 50 salvation goal that you've put on his heart. Father, we just agree with him right now by faith that it is done. I call those people in, Father, that their lives are eternally changed and to give their heart to you, Father, and you help Brother Dave and the people he's working with to guide them, to disciple them, to help them grow and to reach other people in Jesus' name. That's how it's supposed to work. We focus on others first before focusing on ourselves. And when we're doing that, we spend time this week praying for Brother Dave and the 50 he's supposed to reach. While we're doing this, God's saying, okay, cool, I'm sending these people in here. We got to get out of this us and self-focused mentality. We got to start thinking about other people first. Now, in 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you so that by recalling them, you might fight the good fight, okay? So there's times we need to go back and remember what did God call us to do, what's God asking us to do? And then it says that's in 118, and immediately following in chapter 2, verse 1, because although we separate these, this was just a letter that Paul wrote, right? So it kind of all goes together. Therefore, I exhort first that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, for it's good and acceptable in, God, in the sight of God our Savior. So if we're putting other people's first, we should spend some time this week praying for Brother Dave, right? But then secondly, for God's people, believers and saints, right? So when we do intercessory prayer, it's for unbelievers, but it also says in here that we need to have supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So we know that praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watchfulness in and perseverance and supplication for all saints. Who are you praying for? Who do you spend time praying for that is outside of you and your household? Right? I spend time praying for my pastor, who Pastor Doug is up in Illinois. He's who I call my pastor. He's the one I call if I need spiritual counsel or advice. I spend time, I try to every day, praying for him. And as I pray for him, the Lord will bring people in that I'm familiar with. That's the church we came from. People in that church, you can pray for this family, pray for this family. And I'll just start praying for them as the Lord's bringing them up in my spirit. They're Christians. They don't need me to intercede. They've got their own path to God, but I can supplicate for them. That's what that word means, okay? In... um James 5.16, it says, confess your trespasses, uh, basically where you've missed the mark, to one another, pray for one another so that you might be healed because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
So when somebody, if you're spending time praying for them and they're spending time praying for who God's telling them to pray for, can you see this reciprocal that happens where everyone gets what they need and it's going to be more powerful than if you just spend all your time praying for yourself? So how much time do we spend praying, not only interceding for unbelievers, leaders of our nation, which most are unbelievers, hopefully there's some Christians in there, but we need to spend time praying for leaders of our nation. We need to spend time praying for leaders of Pensacola, right? You can open the newspaper and see all the chaos and turmoil that's going on. We need to spend time praying for leaders of our state. They're trying to pass some state laws right now. They were, talk- they were trying to pass a law uh, to, get, uh, to allow um, chaplains, they're calling them ministers, to be available to go into the schools. And offer counseling services if you something happens in your school and you want to talk to a chaplain, right? It's being fought hardcore. We need to spend some time praying for that. Lord, we need God back in our schools. Taking God out of our schools is what's caused the chaos in our schools. We need God back in our schools. Now, it says, thirdly, you then begin to pray for yourself, both spiritual needs and natural needs, which is where it leads to Philippians 4, 6, which we talked about last week. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And when you do, and when you make your requests known and you cast your cares on the Lord, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind, right? But this is really what, kind of what I was hoping to get to today is this. Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if anybody's ever heard that name, he was a 19th century English preacher and a pastor at the New Park Street Chapel in London, England. He was a well-known minister, wrote a lot of books back in the early 1900s, and he was a very well-celebrated minister of his time. And his church that he was a pastor over, and this was back in the early 19th century, had 5,000 people. So even back then, this was the beginnings of the what we call mega churches. You see all these ginormous churches that are out there. But he had a large gathering of people. But this was in the 1900s. So there's no sound system, right? They had an organ because they figured out organs back then, big organ fill. But there's no microphones, no sound system. So he's preaching to 5,000 people. I'm in a room with, with that can hold maybe 50 people, and I'm wearing a microphone. Now, I'm also wearing this because we're recording, but... He's wearing no microphone, right? And that's when you want your voice to be heard and carry, right? And you're broadcasting. But no, no sound system. And it was said that his voice could be heard by everyone, including those that were in the back. Now, a group of young ministers who were, who were learning how to be ministers came to him one day, and they were asking, what was the secret to this church? And he said, I want to take you to the boiler room. And they were like, no, 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 we want to know the secret of, of the preaching. And he goes, we're going to the boiler room. And they said, no, you don't understand. We don't care about the heat and the stuff of the church. We, we, we want to know how that's working is follow me. And he led him down the steps into a basement. And in this basement, what he called his boiler room was about 100 people in prayer every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he said, this is my boiler room. And he was quoted to say this. The secret to my ministry is my people pray for me. They pray for me. As your pastor, as the leader of this church, I can't do what God's called me to do unless you pray. It's not just me praying. It's not just me blazing a path. It's you spending time praying for me that allows us to do what God's calling us to do. Let me show this to you. Now, in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, This is something our pastor up in Illinois was talking about, and I've been praying a lot about it, asking God to begin to show us some things and how it applies to our church. But he was talking about the year of 2024 is the year of the open door. 
And we talked about this. Jesus said, I'm the door and the pathway into heaven. He's talking about the door and the gate and the sheep come and go. He's talking about a picture. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. But in 1 Corinthians 16, 9, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. So in other words, the 2024 is the year of open door. God's saying that there's an ability in the spirit to spend time praying, but there's adversaries come against those people that are trying to do that. Okay, The devil knows that if he can hit a leader of a church, then he can affect the entire congregation, right? If you can affect a leader of an organization, you can influence the entire organization. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, it says this, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, this is Paul talking, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that even we despaired for life itself. This is Paul, and he was completely despaired. This was turmoil. This was pressure. This was persecution. If Paul, who did all these great works and wrote half the New Testament, felt like he was completely despaired. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received our sentence of death. He thought he was going to die so that we would not trust in ourselves, but trust in God who raises the dead. He honestly thought we're just going to get killed. Then I have to believe God raises me from the dead. That's how bad it was. How many have ever been at that point? Well, I'm just going to die. God raised me from the dead. I don't know that I've ever been at that point any time in my life. So this is pretty bad, right? Verse 10, he has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of many. He's saying, we only made it through this persecution because everyone was praying. Because you prayed, we were able to press through this. And that gift was your prayers. He's saying, your prayers are like presents and gifts that are given into the ministry. Now, in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, this was uh, about the time King Herod violently attacked some of those that belonged to the church, right? And in verse 2, he executed James, right? Who's John's brother? who was one of the 12 disciples, Herod killed him. In verse 3, when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter during the festival of the unleavened bread. And after the arrest, he put him in prison, and he assigned four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending to bring him out before the Passover, and he was going to kill him. So Peter Peter was kept in prison, verse 5. But the church was praying fervently, for God, to God, for him. What happens when the church begins to pray? In all the, the leading verses, verse 6 through 10, an angel shows up and delivers Peter out of prison. As a matter of fact, Peter's standing outside of prison going, whoa, how did this happen? That had to have been an angel. I'm now out of prison. And what does he do? He goes back to what he calls his company, but basically the church. Right? He gets out of prison, gets released, and goes to church. In verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house where they were all gathered, right? House of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. They were praying. He was released. His release from prison was directly tied to the fact that the church began to pray. There are times where I'm not, I'm not necessarily, unless this government goes really wonky, probably won't be thrown in prison. Now, there were times during COVID where some pastors were put in prison. It happened. 
depending on what state you're in, what, you know, what, what city you lived in, the population, how aggressive the law enforcement was. You know, up in Illinois, it was, it was pretty rough. But most of the sheriffs were Republicans and fairly conservative and said, we're going to recommend you don't do this, but we're not going to come and start arresting people. But there were several pastors throughout the United States that were thrown in prison for this. There could come times where the semblance of prison is put on a pastor. And what does that mean? That means there's times where in this world, they're trying to tie my hands. They're trying to tie my feet. They're trying to shut my mouth. Because when you're in prison, you have no influence. You have no change. You're not allowed to do anything. You lose your rights. Right? There's rights that I carry in the spirit for being pastor that are threatened when the world comes against it. What prevents it? The church is praying. The church is praying. An angel delivers him. And it tells us that as soon as he realizes, he went there and they were praying. So that begs the question, how should you pray for me? Right? You might think you know how to pray for me, but what does the Bible say when it comes to praying for your pastor? I mean, you might think Pastor Paul just wants me to pray that he has a lot of grandchildren. And you're not necessarily wrong, but is that what the Bible says? No, the Bible does say, bless his man whose quiver is full. I know she's eyeballing me over here. Have I made it a week where I have not mentioned that? Okay. Not yet? Maybe next week. Amen. Maybe next week. So how do you pray for me? Now we know in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the sin and perseveration and supplication for all saints. But you know, it doesn't stop there. We've read that scripture a lot, but that's verse 18. Let's go to verse 19. And for me, oh, here's the answer. Thank you, Jesus. Paul put it in the New Testament. He says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me. That's the first thing you need to pray for me as pastor is that the words that I'm saying are the words that God wants you to hear, the words that need to be proclaimed. Because as a leadership piece, what happens in a business or an organization, right? When the, when the CEO stands up and says, we're going to do this, it affects change and everything starts lining up with what was proclaimed is going to be done. It's the same in a church. When the words of utterance come out, now the Bible has lots to say about utterance. We can go into that one of these days. Utterance can be a variety of things. It can be a proclamation of the future of God has for us. It can also be correction. I've seen words of utterance come out in a church, um, and he was kind of known for this, but he's actually passed away now, but Dr. Ed Dufresne out in California, and he was considered a prophet, a very bold person, but he was in a service once where he basically said, there's three couples in here, and y'all are sleeping with each other's spouses, and you need to get right before God, and called it right out in the middle of the church service. Imagine being in that kind of church service where God just reads your mail and tells everybody the sin that's going on. Now, afterwards, he was asked about this. And he said, this is how God operates. He said, and he actually, after everything, and they repented and got right with God. And they came forward and there was prayer. They resisted a little bit, but it did all clean out. But he was talking to the pastor of the church. It wasn't even his church. He was in as a guest. He was like, Lord, I don't want to say this. I'm not the pastor of this church. Why are you bringing this out through me? Well, the problem was, is that they had gotten so brazen with it, they started telling all the other couples in the church, you should be doing this. And so God's saying, if you're going to be public with your sin, I'm going to be public with your repentance. Now, God's not just going to call out your sin if you show up to church on Sunday morning. So say, everybody say amen. 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 Right. There's something that's going on. He might use me in private to come and say, the Lord said something. Is there something going on in your life? Let's get this fixed. Right. But for it to be public like that usually meant that the sin was public. And he's having to bring correction. Why, was, why is that the case? Because if the sin is public and infecting the entire body, he's wanting to bring cleanliness. An utterance of the word of the Lord can be like that. 
Now, in my case, it's a rarity. When we were in Illinois that whole 14 years, I can't ever remember a single time where pastor had a public thing like, but there's times where that'll come out. You need to change this. You've done this and it needs to be changed. But it's private one-on-one with the pastor, which is how most of the time it happens if God's going to give a word of utterance of correction. But what's that correction? It's the same as a correction with a child. If I see my son doing something wrong and I want to affect change because I know that that one small thing can grow and destroy the entire life that God has for him, it's that same thing. Don't you want God to bring correction? Now, how God wants to do it is when you're alone with him in the morning reading your Bible. God wants to bring it to you then, so it's just you and God. Nobody knows, right? That's the preferable way. But if you quit listening to him and you don't give him that time in the morning, he doesn't want you to go to hell, right? Somebody else might be supplicating for you. Somebody else might step in and say, hey, God's going to do everything possible to keep you off a path of destruction, right? But utterance can mean that. It can also mean uh, speaking the right word, talking about the right subject. I could be preaching on prayer when God's saying, I want you to preach on love today, right? If I'm not saying the right thing from the pulpit that needs to be heard by the people that's in the congregation, then I don't have the right utterance, and that's also fought, right? It could be that I need to bring a word out on love for the whole congregation, and the devil doesn't want anybody to know about love. I've had this happen before, too, where I'm going to bring a word out on Sunday morning. That whole week is just junk. I mean, I get attacked at work. Everything falls apart. You know, getting an argument with my wife or something silly happens, and it just seems like there's turmoil and chaos. It's all coming against the utterance. And your prayers help prevent that and help guard me and keep me in a place where I can be protected enough to bring out what God wants us all to hear. So it is a bit self-serving. You're praying for me because you're getting the utterance, right? But it's learning to pull on that. He says, and for me, that utterance may be given that I might open my mouth boldly. You know, there's times where I can say something and it'd be like a suggestion, right? Have you ever had this with your kids, right? And I say this a lot because we're God's kids and he treats us the same way that we treat our own children. And there's times where I'm like, yeah, you probably should clean your room, right? That has an effect. But if I come in and say, you're going to clean this now, or there's going to be consequences, that's a different effect, right? Sometimes the boldness needs to come out in the word because we need to change our life like that. So I, I pray, or you should be praying that I have boldness when boldness is necessary so that the word cuts, divides soul and spirit, and allows us to get rid of garbage and junk in our life. That's also in here too. Open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You should be praying that I have the ability to take the gospel and no longer make it a mystery so that it is known and you can understand it. God, show pastor when he's praying this week and he's spending time with you an easy way to explain this verse so I can understand it. You should be praying that because there's, that's, that's part of my calling. That's part of what God's asked me to do, right? So mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, Paul says. What does that literally mean? Well, that has multiple meanings. Paul was often in prison. A lot of people interpret it this way. Well, Paul was in chains and in prison, right? But it can also be this way. I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm chained to the gospel. I'm chained to my calling, right? I have said this many, many times. I can't do anything else. People have looked at me in my life. If you go back over my life, I knew at a very early age, as a matter of fact, 16 years old in high school, I knew I was called to be a preacher, right? I didn't know what to do. And our church didn't have big talks about Bible school or seminary, all this other stuff. So you know what I did? I went to Miss Asbury. She was the high school guidance counselor. 
I kid you not. I went to the high school guidance counselor because she's the one where you would go and say, I want to be an electrician or I want to be this. And she'd be like, okay, well, let's look into this college. Look, That was her job. That's what she did for every student in the whole high school. So I went to the high school guidance counselor and said, I'm supposed to be a preacher. And I thank God for this woman every day. I don't know if she ever went to church. I don't know if she was even a Christian. But she was like, okay, well, let's look into Bible schools. What's out there? I'm like, I don't even know. So she sat with me. My high school, public school guidance counselor sat with me. And we started talking about this. And I said, well, I've heard about this one, Rama, because my brother at the time was thinking about going there. He actually went there my junior and senior year and graduated. And I followed him as I was moving down. He was moving back. We both went to the same Bible school. So at that time, I'd start to hear about, hear about it because he was going to go to school there. So we started looking into it. Well, there's a go to a get acquainted weekend, like a college weekend, you know, go learn about this school, go visit your brother down there and see if it's something you want to do. And that was what she did. Right. But I had no idea. But all the way back then, I knew I can't do anything else and be happy. It was either that or be a police officer. I wanted to be a cop. And I wanted to be a cop since I was like five years old, mostly just because I wanted to drive fast with the lights on. <laughs> You know, which is why I was, in EM, I was in EMT for a while, because that's an adrenaline rush. You know, when you're doing 105 in an ambulance trying to get to an ambulance scene, you got lights. It, it's an adrenaline rush. I like to drive fast. It wasn't about shooting people. It wasn't about arresting people. I could have cared less about any of that. I wanted to be in a car that could legally drive fast. That's all the reason I wanted to be a cop, right? And then God said, no, be a preacher. And we don't get to drive fast either. So that's fine. <laughs> I'll deal with it. But I knew I was attached to that calling. So everything I did, right, I moved to Bible school without a job, without money to pay for it. I went down there and said, I got to find a job, right? Luckily, Bible school back then was only about $3,000 a year. So it wasn't like college that's 30 thousand dollars a year. So I was able to work, pay for my rent, pay my way through college. But it wasn't easy. You know, I didn't have any scholarships and support. And my mom and dad said, that's great. We want you to go. But what it required of me is stand faith and believe God. Right. Instead of relying on, I'm, I'm grateful for it. I'm not upset that my grandparents did that because what it did is told me, you need to press into God because God is your source, not grandpa and grandma. Right. And that's the way I've lived my entire life. I knew that God wanted me to be a youth pastor. So I found a job down there that would let me be a youth pastor. And then he said, I want you to move back to Illinois and help at this church. I moved home with no job. I've done that way just about every time I've ever moved. The only time I moved without a job was, well, here, moving this, this way. I moved here with a job, but I actually moved to California thinking I had a job and showed up to no job. I literally spent, I had a few thousand dollars in the bank, but spent every penny I had to get to California thinking I was transferring. I was a store manager for a cell phone company and I thought I was transferring to work, not as a store manager, but as a salesman. And then I showed up and they're like, "Never mind, we don't actually need a position. This isn't going to work. And now I have no job. Now I've got an apartment and rent and bills and no job. And it was rough, but I knew I was supposed to move there and help in ministry. And that, that's just how I've lived my life. People are always like, well, you know, you just have this job and, you know, serve God on the side. I said, no, God's always been first in my life. I've always see, sought after God, known this is what I, I knew that I was supposed to start a church before I knew what job I had when I moved down here. Now, once God said, I want you to go start a church, I said, okay, God, now I've got four kids and, you know, bills and stuff and I, I can't move without a job, right? I know you want me to go and I'm going to go. And I knew the timing and I'm like, you're going to have to bring a job, Right. And so he brought a job. Then I get down here, I start working the job, and I start complaining about the job. And I went through this whole thing. And God's like, well, I brought you this job because you asked for a job, and now you're going to complain about this job because you don't think it's the perfect job? Why are you here? I went through that whole thing, kind of a consecration phase. Well, I know why I'm here, right? Well, this was back when we were meeting in our house. 
We're just sitting around the living room, having church. Didn't feel like church sometimes. You know, Jeff was upset that I didn't have my shoes on because he didn't like to see bare feet. All right, back in the day. And he's glad we're in a building because I wear shoes into church. He's just happy over there. He prayed that in. He was praying, Lord, let pastor wear shoes. Amen, because he was praying for his pastor, I know. But I'm chained to the calling. I'm chained to what God's asked me to do. I can't do anything else. I couldn't walk away if I wanted to. All right? There's been opportunities. I've had opportunities of people saying, if you're willing to commit your life to this job, it'll pay out really, really well. I can't do that. My life isn't committed to that job. There's times I've lost jobs because I'm in ministry first, and ministry is first, and everything is going to revolve around ministry. And that's just how God's... Um, it's that ambassador in chains. So you should be praying for that too. Well, Lord, we know He's chained to this for a reason because this is the calling. He's the pastor of the church. So all into that, Right? That's so that you're, I'm going to, you're going to pray that he's in the right job. And if this isn't the right job, you're going to bring up a job that's even better that allows him to do more ministry, right? And eventually we want to grow to our church to a point where the church itself is taking care of the pastor's needs because then the pastor has 100% of his time to pour back into the people, which is what his job is. All the way back into the Old Testament, the priest did that. The priest didn't work. The rest of Israel worked. All the other 11 tribes worked. The priest tribe didn't work. You know how they got their meat? This is an interesting picture, but you know, they had all the sacrifices coming in and they had the big cauldron and they had an actual hook and they had to believe God because they would reach in one time and they would hook whatever meat came out that was their food if it was a big piece they were good if it's a small piece they went hungry that's how the priest did it in the old testament it's a wild picture to think of but it's a picture of faith is what it is I'm going to believe God for something good when I put in my hook it was a picture of faith even in the old testament Abraham had faith and anyway that's none of my notes either I won't charge you for that one as well ambassador in chains that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak as as a as a people as a church and this is something we taught our youth ministry back in Illinois for many years you have the right and authority as the congregation to pull on the anointing of God in heaven through your leadership that's in place you have the right to come in and say God I want your power and presence to be in this place you can draw on the anointing on the power of God Prophetic word, revelation, knowledge, word, gift, gift of wisdom, uh, tongues and interpretation of tongues, all the things that it talks about being gifts of the Spirit, you have the right to draw on that and expect that. We used to, in Bible school, they used to say, turn your expectors on. What are you expecting from God today? If you come into church expecting nothing, you're going to get what you expect. If you come in from church, you come into church going, God, I've got these questions and things in my life I need to know about, and I expect answers, he's going to start providing answers through the service. What do you expect when you come into church? You as a congregation have the right to pull. It's not just on this position. See, I'm a conduit. I'm a pipe, right? I'm put in place to help funnel things from heaven into this earth. You want to make sure to pray that. How many, how many drank out of a garden hose? I'm old enough. Everybody here's drank out of a garden hose, right? Right? Ever had it where you go to drink out of a garden hose and there was a little bit of dirt because it got dropped in the ground before you and all of a sudden now you got a little dirt with your water, right? And then you're chewing your water and you're like, this ain't any good. But guess what? I'm, I'm a hose the same. And you should be praying that the, everything coming through is clean. That doesn't have any of me in it, right? Because if there's problems and garbage and turmoil that's coming against the Word, it's going to come out with what comes out with the Word. You should be praying for those utterances to be pure from the presence of heaven and that boldness and revelation knowledge. Now, in Hebrews 13, 17, we'll finish with this. We'll be done a little early today, which is good. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and recognize their authority because they keep watch over your soul without resting, 
since they will have to give an account to God for their work. So it will benefit you when you make their work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. See, it says here, obey your spiritual leaders because they are required to keep watch over you without resting. I think about congregation. I think about this church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I, I wake up in the middle of the night. I've had dreams about the church. I wake up thinking about the church. I spend time praying for you guys all day long. It's just part of who I am. It's just what's coming out. I'm just praying that God send in the people that need to be here. Bless the ones that are already here. Show yourself strong on your behalf. There's several people I've talked to, some of my kids and some not that. We talked about the prayer of faith, and they're like, I'm standing in faith for this. Well, now that you've come to me, it's not just coming to Paul saying, hey, Paul, I'm believing in faith for this. You've come to pastor saying, pastor, I believe. Now I have a responsibility to agree with you and pray with you and spend more time praying for that because it's part of that Bondage, that chains, ambassador in chains, right? So it says here, it'll benefit you when you make my work a pleasure and not a heavy burden. Have you ever had an employee that way? You've had some, I, I, always, I always took pride in this. My boss, uh, when I was back up there, I, there was a great friend of mine named Patrick and thoroughly enjoyed working for him. And I would go in and say, I need a vacation. I would take a week off and go on vacation with the family, do whatever. I would come back the following Monday every time I took a vacation without fail. I would come back in the following Monday and he'd be like, remind me again why I let you leave. I forget how much you do around here. That's the kind of employee I want to be. That's the kind of church members we should be. That we are just willing to do whatever it takes. We're just that good of employee, right? But have you ever had one of those employees where you're like, yeah, it's not a pleasure to have this employee. I'm constantly telling them what to do, constantly reminding them, and it's always a chore. And you like dread going to talk to this person because you know you're just going to get feedback, you're going to get pushback, and you're going to be like, it's just, it's just hard. Well, as a pastor, it can be that way. Luckily, no one in this room falls under that category, so y'all are good. There's no one in here where it's like, oh, I got to go talk to Deb. I'm going to hear about Jeff again. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. There's no one in here falls under that, but it has been times in church and that I've had to go home and pray saying, Lord, I don't want to be this way, but when I walk in that building and see this particular person, I'm all, mm, it's that person. That's not made my life very easy. It's decided to tell me my kids are doing everything wrong, right? But not in a good way. You know, there's a good way and a wrong way of doing that. Not in a good way. In a way of I'm not happy with my own kids, so I'm going to point out the flaws in your kids to make my kids look better. You know, that kind of way where you're like, I don't want to listen to what you have to say, right? But you've walked into church and you're just like, oh. And unfortunately, when I made that noise, all of you had a picture of someone in your head. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know that person. I've dealt with that person. Don't be that person. Don't be that person in a church because it says it'll not benefit you to make the work a heavy burden instead of a pleasure. In other words, you're going to get more from God if you make their job easier and they're wanting to be here, right? There's a passion. I was telling the, the worship team about this this morning. There was a song we were practicing, but the song became a burden. So we scrapped it, went on to something else. Because if it's not a pleasure, it's not going to flow from heaven. It's just going to be another song we had to do. And Aiden said it right. He actually brought it up beforehand. Well, we want this song to be a worship song and a great song, not a song that we're all like, oh, that kind of sucked, right? Because then you don't ever want to do it again. That's how people in church should be. We want to come in and you want to make it a pleasure, not just a, oh, okay, well, we're just going through the motions, right? And it says in verse 18, and keep praying for us that we continue to live with a clear conscience for we desire to live honorably in all that we do. The Amplified says, keep praying for us because we are convinced that we have a good clear conscience, that we want to walk uprightly and live a noble life acting honorably and in complete honesty in all things. You should pray that over our life that he lives an honorable, 
honest, and noble life. Because my heart burns for pastors who stand up and lie, who steal from their church, who hurt people. That bothers me. It bothers me. It bothers me when leadership misrepresents God. Because at what it, what it goes all the way back to what we talked about at the beginning, it creates another callous in someone's life and it pushes them away from their Savior, pushes them away from the answers they need in their life, pushes them away from who God really is because they saw Him as a representative of God and it's a misrepresentation of who He really is. God's not that way. He's not. That's what you should pray for your leadership, that they live an honorable life, honest life, noble life. That's what I'm asking for. When you spend time praying for me, it allows us to go further in our services. God begins to use this as a conduit. And then when there's stuff going on in your life and you call and say, Pastor Paul, things are falling apart and I need you to pray. I'm able to step in and pray with full authority of the position, not the person. It's not me. It's not that I know how to pray better than anybody else. But God says this is a positional kingdom. And he's given that pastor as a position, right? Now, it's a matter of the man who's president. The office carries authority. You put a different person in there, it's the same authority, right? It might be less respect, but it's the same authority, right? But don't you want to have someone in a position of pastoralship that's not only has the authority, but the respect because they are an honorable person, an honest person, a noble person that walks upright before him? That's what we should be praying for. We should also be praying that for our leaders of our nation too. But pray that over us. Pray that over us so that we can do what God's called us to do. Because the more people that start coming in here, the more pressure there is to cater what you're saying, to change what you're saying, to try to tickle the ears, as they say. Say something that's fun so they'll want to come back instead of saying, I want to say what God wants me to say. There is a pressure. I don't care how big of a Christian or how spiritual you are. There is a pressure to that. Why? Because as we discovered last night, I care what people think. I care if you think my hey dudes look nice and I'll walk in like a little kid going, do you like my new shoes, you know? Where other people, like my wife, is like, her, her care is gone. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people say. It's gone. Me, on the other hand, not that way. Right? So I don't want that care of caring about people to change what God wants to say. And that's a pressure. Pray that God, Pastor Paul, will say exactly what I need to hear. Whether it's comfortable or not. Whether it's easy or not. Let it come across to a point where I can receive the truth that you have for me. Because the truth is what brings freedom. The truth is what will set you free. Truth will always set you free. Not what some person says is truth, right? Because that's not. It's the truth is the Word of God, and His Word will set you free. It will bring freedom. It'll bring peace into your life. It'll bring peace into your heart, into your prayer life, into your family. Truth will set you free. Amen? Father, thank you for this morning. Father, we honor you with our words. We honor you with our gathering together. Father, we honor you with our choice of love. We choose to love you. We choose to serve you. We choose to make you our Savior and our Lord. Father, thank you this week as we go about our week that you put people on our hearts to pray for, whether it's interceding for them for their salvation or supplicating for them, Father, for things that they need in their life. Put people on our heart, Father, to pray for. We thank you again for, for Elder Dave and the ministry that you've called him to. Father, give him wisdom and give him the utterance needed to speak into the lives of people that need it. Father, let him speak with boldness exactly what you've placed on his heart, exactly the word that they need to hear that will pull them out of the darkness that they're in into the light. 
will reveal what's good and what's bad, Father. We'll begin to reveal things in their life that they need to start changing and living cleaner life, Father. I thank you that you're giving him boldness to speak those words. Thank you for putting people on our heart this week to pray for, to intercede for, to stand in the gap, to see your salvation, to see your loving kindness, and to make the choice to follow you. Father, thank you for all that you've called us to do and all you're going to call us to do in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcast. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.